All right, I'm giving myself props this morning. I got to have the drummer stay up here and give me a rim shot every so often, right? All right, you're going to need your Bibles because we have a lot to cover in the Bible this morning. So get your Bibles out, open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible with you, just put your hand up. Our ushers are coming around. They've got Bibles that you can grab to to follow along in. And um, if you do not have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive from them. And at any point, um, if you need a Bible, if you, someone you know needs a Bible, we have them on that uh, little desk in the back corner there, and you can grab one and just take it with you. All right. Got to take a breath because I'm going to go a little fast here this morning. This morning, we are going to begin our message in a completely different place than we usually do. Um, we are going to the book of Jeremiah this morning. And I can't wait until you see why we're doing that. Um, Something that's important for us to understand is that the Psalms, where our current series of messages is based, were written over a span of over a thousand years. There's a lot of history referenced in the Psalms, and you're about to see that. Um, In the Bibles that we hold in our hands, books are grouped together according to literary types. That's one of the ways they're grouped. The book of Psalms falls into a group of poetry books, obviously. So don't be alarmed when we start this message in a book that you're going to find after the Psalms in your Bible. Remember that the Psalms cover a vast period of history. And with all that in mind, let me invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah now, to Jeremiah chapter 25. I am going to rapidly summarize several chapters in Jeremiah. Um, I've decided that this section of the Bible has become my retirement plan. Um, I'm going to write a screenplay based on the story, and I'm going to make millions off of it. So um, I promise to tithe to the church when that happens. All right. um, This week, I embarked on another Bible nerd adventure, um, and I strongly, strongly recommend doing this from time to time. You need to do this. This is really fun. I felt like I did um, as a young adult when I was living in Vancouver um, on my own. Um, My best friend, Mark, um, he and I lived together, we worked together, we did everything together, and one of the things that we really enjoyed doing together was fishing. We went trout fishing together, and so every weekend, uh, we had this plan that I miss very much, because man, that was the life. Uh, We would work during the week, we hit the weekend, and as the weekend started, we'd pull out an atlas, we wouldn't go online, that wasn't a thing, we'd pull out the Rand McNally's atlas, and we we would get a map, of the mountains surrounding Vancouver, and we would look on, the, on those maps for a secondary highway that we had never traveled before. We would find that, and then we would head off in my four-wheel drive truck, and we'd go up that secondary highway. And what we were looking for as we drove up into the mountains was logging roads. We were looking for logging roads. And when we'd find a logging road, we would get off on that logging road and take off up into the mountains. And we'd drive until that logging road intersected with a trout stream. And then we'd just pull over and we'd take off and we would fish that trout stream for the rest of the day. It was an awesome life. My message, my message prep this week was a lot like that and I caught a lot of fish on the journey. And so I'm going to share my catch with you this morning. Ready? Deep breath. I'm going to fly through some stuff here. Jeremiah chapter 25. Um, Not reading. Summarizing. Jeremiah, God's prophet, 
had been speaking to God's people. God spoke through his prophets at that time. Jeremiah had been speaking to God's people for 23 years. They weren't listening. Jeremiah repeats this multiple times. And so God told Jeremiah he would send the kingdom of Babylon to overtake them. Now remember that God doesn't do this anymore. He took out, thankfully, he took out his wrath on Jesus. He doesn't just send armies our way to punish us. God says, I will devote them, Babylon, to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. And that scared me. And it should scare us. This is like when the Vikings invaded. It was worse than that. It was that kind of a scenario. And then he says, moreover, I will banish from them, from my people, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness. There is going to be no more happiness. In Jeremiah 25, 11, it says that these nations that Babylon would attack, and there were many more besides the one God's people lived in, besides Judah, will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. This is what Jeremiah said was going to happen. And just to give you some perspective, um, Babylon was powerful enough that they would defeat all of these nations around God's people, including nations like the Philistines, who were quite a force to be reckoned with. They would be taken over by Babylon. Jeremiah 26 Jeremiah gathers God's people together and he tells them what God said about their coming destruction. God told Jeremiah that they might listen and avoid what he's going to do. And God's still being gracious here. Their response, they grabbed Jeremiah, they laid hold of him and said, you shall die. Jeremiah was brought before the officials, and the people told the officials, this guy deserves to die. He deserves death. And so Jeremiah gives them yet another chance and tells them what God said again. He tells them they still have a chance. And then Jeremiah says to them, to the people, I am in your hand. Do with me as seems good and right to you. But then he kind of said, but you know what's going to happen if you kill me. Now, they were wise enough to accept the fact that he was speaking for God. They recalled other prophecies that spoke of their destruction, and so Jeremiah was spared. Jeremiah 27, God sends Jeremiah to the people again, this time with props. He comes with a yoke. He brings brings one of these with him, straps and all. He puts this on himself And he says, this is what God is asking us to do, directing us to do. God is saying we are to yoke ourselves to the king of Babylon. Okay? This is God's instructions. I'm going to use Babylon. You're to yoke yourselves to the king of Babylon. And if you remember back to your stories in Sunday school growing up, the king was Nebuchadnezzar. Not a great guy. God's people were at that time being told by false prophets to not give in to Babylon. God actually told his people that if they willingly submitted to Babylon, those who were exiled to Babylon, who would go to Babylon then, would return to where they were around Jerusalem. And if they submitted to Babylon, there were some who would stay there and work the land that they were on near Jerusalem. 
And God said that he would return from Babylon in 70 years all that had been taken from Jerusalem. And Babylon pillaged the temple. They took furniture. They took some pillars, a bronze basin, a whole bunch of gold items. But God said he would return to them all that, their fortune, and those who went into exile in Babylon. All right, Jeremiah 28. A false prophet comes along claiming to break the yoke of Babylon and saying that within two years he would restore any stolen goods and exiles from Babylon. This was this prophet's claim. Jeremiah challenges this guy saying that God is going to prove whether or not he's telling the truth. Time will tell. The false prophet then takes the yoke from Jeremiah's neck and breaks it drama queen and he makes his false prophecies about what's going to happen later God sends Jeremiah to this false prophet to tell him that the wooden yoke he broke will be replaced by an iron one and no surprise that false prophet died later that year Jeremiah 29 Jeremiah writes to those who have been taken into exile in Babylon and are now there. And that included elders, priests, prophets, king and queen, eunuchs, officials, craftsmen, metal workers, all sent into exile in Babylon by God. And God's instructions to those who had been sent into exile were amazing. God told them to live good lives there. He said, seek the welfare of the city. Yes, Babylon. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city. In its welfare, you will find your welfare. You're going to be a while, get comfortable and contribute. And in 70 years, like I said, I will bring you back. That was Jeremiah 29.10. Now we come to my favorite verse in the Bible. And I love the context around all this. It's amazing. Jeremiah 29, 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, yours and your communities, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then verses 12 to 14. Then, then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And those who obeyed God went to Babylon and were returned to Jerusalem unless God had allowed them those who obeyed, to stay where they were and work the land. Those who disobeyed and stayed in Jerusalem would face war, famine, and disease. They would be scattered all over the world. And then God reminds those who went into exile that they hadn't been listening either. Jeremiah 30. God reminds his people of his promises through Jeremiah. He says, I see the fear among my people. 
but I will break the yoke from their necks. Do not be afraid. I will bring you home again from distant lands. You will return to peace, for I am with you and will save you. I have had to punish you because your sins are many and your guilt is great. Then Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 18 and 19 When I bring Israel home again from captivity and restore their fortunes, remember that phrase, Jerusalem will be rebuilt on its ruins and the palace reconstructed as before. There will be joy and songs of thanksgiving. Remember that phrase too. They will have their own ruler again and he will come from their own people. Guess who he's talking about? It's Jesus He says, I will invite him to approach me. Well, who was the only one who could approach God? It was his son. Verse 22 says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And this church is the new covenant that came with Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31 The new covenant statement is repeated again, and then I'm going to read now verses 2 through 14 in Jeremiah 31. There's so much in here. It says this, this is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land, for I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will be happy again. And dance merrily with your tambourines, which I should add Jamie come up and demonstrate that. That would be funny. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains, mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. The day will come when watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim, come let us go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Now this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Israel. Shout for the greatest of nations. Shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. For I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. I will not forget The blind and lame, the expectant mothers and women in labor, a great company will return. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Listen to this message from the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord who scattered his people will gather them and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts, the abundant crops of grain, new wine and olive oil, and the healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a watered garden, and all their sorrows will be gone. 
The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests will enjoy abundance, and my people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then in the rest of that chapter, God speaks in greater detail of the coming new covenant that he was making with his people. Later on, Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah prophesies Israel's return. He prophesied that they would return weeping and seeking God. They'd be like lost sheep. He prophesied that when they returned, many armies would join forces, rise up and defeat Babylon at that point. And the description of what would happen to Babylon is disturbing. It would be horrible. And Jeremiah's words about Babylon's destruction were written down and then sent to Babylon and read out loud to its rulers there. I can't imagine that moment. It was not good news. The rest of Jeremiah records the destruction of Jerusalem and the book of Lamentations follows Jeremiah describing the sorrow over the destruction of Jerusalem. Ezekiel follows Lamentations. Ezekiel was a prophet in exile in Babylon. And other books in the Bible cover this time period. It was a very significant time for God's people. Were God's promises to his people fulfilled? Well, now we finally get to our psalm for today. This is one of the 15 psalms God's people sang as they walked the trail of Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate their festivals. This is Psalm 126. Turn there now, Psalm 126. And this is what it says. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, promise fulfilled. We were like those who dream Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. It's a desert. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So guess what this psalm is referring to? Yeah, the 70-year exile that God's people faced and the fulfillment of God's promise to bring them back. Now I want to look at two halves of this psalm and point out something that I think is really significant here. In verses 1 to 3 of our psalm, God's people are praising him for what he did. Past tense. God fulfilled his promises to them. God delivered his people just like he had promised through Jeremiah. The exile in Babylon lasted 70 years, just as God said it would through Jeremiah. After 70 years living in Babylon, it's like a whole lifetime. You 
can imagine that many, if not all of the people, had basically given up and settled into life there. And God had even instructed them to settle into life there. But then out of the blue, just as they had been promised, God spoke to his people and said, it's time to go home. They were stunned to the point of feeling like they were dreaming. How can this be true? And then just as Jeremiah had prophesied, there was laughter in their mouths and shouts of joy on their tongues. And the evidence of God's faithfulness was very clear to the other nations around them as well. They were able to rise up and overthrow Babylon and they saw very clearly what God did for his people and how he included them in that plan. And so even their neighbors said, God has done great things for you. Now, I love how Eugene Peterson, I've been studying and reading from him a lot in this series. I love how he translates the last half of verse 3, where it says, we are glad. He writes it as, we are one happy people. Okay, Chapel Hill Church in Egan, Minnesota. Through Jesus Christ, you and I have been delivered from destruction. We have been set free from slavery, ransomed from the penalty of sin, gifted with new life. Are we one happy people? Okay, good. I was going to have you make you back up and say something because this is one of those times. And if I was talking to the group at Teen Challenge, I would have heard 300 young men go, Amen! (laughs) Are we one happy people? Yes! Even Jeremiah, over 2,500 years ago, mentioned the coming king and the new covenant, and God delivered. Shouldn't we be smiling to the point of laughter? Shouldn't our voices be singing and shouting with joy? Of course they should. God has faithfully redeemed his people. And I mean you and me, I don't just mean that group that was in exile for 70 years so long ago. God has done great things for us and we are glad we are one happy people. But we can't ignore what happens then in Psalm 126 verse 4. Because it seems quite clear there that the the restoration effort was not over. Yes, the exiles had returned, and all the stuff that was stolen from Jerusalem was also returned to its rightful owner. But the words there are, restore our fortunes, O Lord. They're still asking God to restore things. I have a few thoughts on this. Why is future restoration being requested here? Well, for starters, what got them to where they were in the first place? Why were they sent into exile in Babylon? Why did they wear the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years? They found themselves in that predicament because they stopped listening to God. They had, just like we do, the natural tendency to ignore God. They listened to other voices, voices telling them lies. They didn't seek God in his voice. They may have had exactly the same problem we have today. 
They may have started just passively accepting whatever they were told by whoever claimed to be an authority instead of actively seeking God's voice. They needed to be restored to the kind of sons and daughters who listen for their father's voice. The kind of sheep who diligently follow the voice of their shepherd. There was restoration work still to be done. And there's restoration work that still needs to be done in our lives as well. I want what they wanted. I want God to restore my fortunes, and I'm, I'm not talking about money and gold furniture. The Babylonians had stolen what was valuable in the temple. The world steals what's valuable in me. And I am, as Jesus and others declared, the temple of the living God. We, Chapel Hill, are being built together into the temple of the living God. And we want God to restore us. We don't want to ever become a church who stops seeking and listening to God's voice and loses what God has given us. Uh, we do have to talk about the desert mentioned in Psalm 126.4. It's a real place and this is a picture of it. This is what it looks like most of the year. It's an awful looking place. But when the rain finally comes, green appears. And the desert is transformed. This is what God can do for us, church. This is what the title for this series is talking about. What looks like a very unlikely place to grow anything, to see anything flourish and be fruitful, is a place where even God can work. He can do it. He can bring his restoration. This world can be restored. And that needs to be our prayer like it was for God's people back when this psalm was written. As God restores us, his people, God will transform our tears and our weeping. God can produce a harvest. We're reminded of that. God promises that there's a day coming when he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. He's doing that now and he will finish it when Jesus returns. God has provided us with everything that we need to flourish in the desert. We have been redeemed, set free, ransomed by Jesus Christ. And we are being redeemed, set free, ransomed, every day through the work of Jesus' spirit in us. And before us lies the guaranteed promise that the work will soon be completed and we will return to the new Jerusalem here on earth where we will dwell with the king forever. What incredible hope we have. So we thank and praise God for what he's done and we invite him to continue doing that work daily, restoring us to the likeness of his son, Jesus. 
And I've always resonated with this word, exiles. We live in a world that's being destroyed slowly because of sin. People, things, all of it. This is not the way God created this world and its inhabitants. Things got messed up. And we live temporarily in this messed up place. And sometimes it hurts an awful lot. So let me leave you with this thought. God promises to restore this place. Like Jerusalem, this world will be rebuilt. Back to its original glory. What if God sees us as exiles in this world right now? Like the exiles he sent to Babylon in our story today. I happen to think that he does see us this way. And he's given us even more hope than what he gave his people back then. Total restoration is coming and it's near. In the meantime, think about what God told his people to do during their time of exile in Babylon. He told them to settle in. He told them to live fruitfully and productively there, even though it was just temporary. And then in Jeremiah 29, 7, he says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. In the midst of the exile, God's desire was to see his people bring restoration, even living among their enemies, the ones who would eventually attack and destroy Jerusalem and face God's wrath. Is it possible that God's asking us to do the same? Last week, we introduced the idea of community groups. Could it be that God brought us to this place at this time to remind us that he has a calling for his people. Even while we live here in exile awaiting the completion of God's restoration plan. Is it possible that God is inviting us to join him in bringing about the restoration that he desires to see? I want us all to think about that in the days ahead. Chapel Hill, we have been restored through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been set free from sin, death, fear, and we are gathered here today to ask God together to bring life to our desert, to produce a harvest in us and through us, even if it seems so unlikely that he could do that here in this place to which we have been sent. Let's pray for that. And let's do that now as we close our time together. Will you pray with me? And Father, there are two things that I want to declare this morning 
One is simply this, that we are grateful for what you've done for us. We are grateful that you have restored us through your son, Jesus Christ. That we have been forgiven, we have been set free. We're no longer slaves. God, this morning we are also asking that you continue your restoration work in us. We want to be people who listen for your voice, who seek it out and listen to you and follow what you're telling us. We want to be people who are focused on the welfare of this place where you've put us. We want to see restoration come in our lives, in our families, in our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. This city So God, will you keep doing what you started? Will you restore us? Will you bring into us the components of your temple that get taken away from us by this world? Bring them back. Bring them life and meaning. Restore that glory to our lives as your temple, to our life as a church as your temple. And let your light shine brightly from this place. Thank you for restoring us, Father. We ask that you would continue the work that you started all the way to completion. And we pray this in the name of the one who brought with him this covenant you've made with us and the one who is coming back to bring with him the new Jerusalem. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.